everybody doing? Good, yeah. Hey, uh, do be praying for tonight. You know, we are, we're so blessed to have a guy like Brad Zook leading our high school ministry and uh, just a phenomenal job. And, uh, but do be praying for tonight. You know, a lot of students will come tonight and uh, it'll be their first um, entrance into a church, you know. And so it's a pretty cool opportunity, um, ones like that for us. So I really hope you're having a good weekend. Everybody liking the snow? That's better than I thought. That's quite a few yeses, a couple of strong no's right there. All right, yeah. She was shoveling, I think. Well, um, if you are a guest here with us this morning, we do want to say just a special welcome to you. Thanks for being with us. And, and really, we want you to know we consider it our privilege uh, to be able to have you here worshiping with us today. And we do. We pray that the Spirit of God just really uh, touches your heart um, today. So, hey, I wanted you to know um, some things that, that happened um, last weekend after our services. I wanted you to know that there were a number of individuals that responded to an invitation to receive um, Jesus Christ. And so I just want <clears throat> to say congratulations to you if you were one of those people. And, you know, there's, just, there's nothing greater, you know. And so uh, congratulations on the beginning of your journey with Christ. And I also want to mention that really um, for everyone because, you know, if you come here week in and week out and, <clears throat> and you serve and, and um, maybe you're a kind of person, you extend invitations for people to come here or um, you, you give of your tithes and your offerings, I want you to know that, that the things that you do, um, you're a key player in what happens in the hearts of people. And so I really want you to, to, to see that connection and, and to know that you're a key part of what God is doing in, in our midst. Um, you know, I, I hope you're encouraged by that. We're really um, just kind of humbly kind of looking at the reality of, of what God is doing around here. And uh, we're just in awe and we're, we're really grateful um, for what he's doing in our midst. Well, today we're going to be in our, our second half really of, of chapter 3 of Philippians. And as Brad said in our series called White Hot. And uh, our text for today is it's one of those texts that is it's incredible. It will it'll spur you on, I believe, in, in your walk with Jesus Christ, wherever you're at, really, on your spiritual journey. And uh, before we kind of get into the text, though, would you, would you pray with me? And, and let's just go to the Lord with really hearts of anticipation. And, um, and let's just say a, a really a, a very simple prayer to him. But let's kind of open ourselves to him and say, Lord, for these next moments, uh, we, we want to we seek you. So, yeah, would you, would you pray with me? Lord, that's what we want to do very simply. We just take a moment and we just pause... Um, because you know, we know that you hear the, the prayers of your people. I think of Jeremiah 29, verse 13. It says, those who seek you find you, and when they seek you with all of their hearts. And so, Lord, that's our prayer this morning. We want to seek you. Um, so would you even right now just pray something as simple as that to the Lord? Because he hears you and he wants to respond to that. Would you pray to him even right now, Lord, I seek you this morning. I'm open to you and I seek you. Go ahead and, and do that right now. Lord, we pause and we do that because you do answer the prayers of your people and you long to speak with us and to meet with us. And so, Lord, we pray, we beg you that the Spirit of God would be alive and well and that you would do something inside of us, each one of us today. And we pray with confidence in Christ's name. Amen. Well, hey, I want you to, um, I want you to imagine for a second that you've got a lot of power. Uh, you've got so much power that you can get literally anything you want, anything at all, um, no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, it could be a material item. Anything that you want is at your fingertips. What, what would you ask for? What would you want? Well, with that kind of a question in mind, let me ask you another one. 
Have you ever really wanted something and then when you got it, you were pretty unsatisfied? And it wasn't because it didn't deliver, whatever it was. It was because you wanted more of it. Like you tasted of it and you, you wanted more of it. This happened last night. My uh, Christina, she was making this, this uh, awesome meal. I mean, it was ham, it was potatoes, green beans. I mean, it was all works. I mean, it was great. And we got to the end of the meal and we were kind of cleaning up. And, and I said to her, I said, you know what? I am really full but I just want to keep eating. Ever had one of those meals that good where you just want to keep, keep going, right? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had something that was so good, whether it was food or, or something else, so good that you just wanted more of it? In our passage this morning, we're going to see a picture of the Apostle Paul that encapsulates the want, really, that was at the top of his list. And, and we're going to see what getting that want caused him then to do. How did he move forward? But first, before we jump into the text, I, I think it's important for us really to consider his circumstances again. We've got to understand the context. We've got to jump into his shoes a little bit. Remember now, this is a setup. He, he's imprisoned. His conditions are, are far from ideal. I mean, this is a guy who wasn't having any kind of home cooking. This is a guy that was getting, um, you know, normal criminal treatment. If I were Paul, I was thinking about this. There would be all sorts of things that I would be able to name off, the things that I would want readily. I would want them right away. I mean, I'm in, I'm in prison. What would I want? It'd be easy to come up with a list of things. Yet in this passage, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul was longing for more of something that he actually already had. The underlying truth that comes from our text this morning is this, if you're taking notes, it's, it's having God leads to wanting more of him. That's the core truth for the, the morning. Having God, what does it do? It leads to wanting more of him. Here's where we're going this morning. First, what we're going to do is we're going to summarize what we talked about last week. Because these two texts, last week's and this week's, are they're directly tied to each other. And after we do that, then we're going to move forward and we're going to look at the last section in chapter 3. The last nine verses. We're going to work through those today. And here's what I think you're going to find is going to happen to you this morning. I know for me personally, it's one of those texts that God just, boom, just kind of hits your heart with in a, in a really good way. I believe this is what will happen to you this morning, wherever you're at today. I believe that, that God, here's what he wants to do. I believe that he wants to stoke the fires of your faith. I believe that he wants to breathe fresh life into your faith today. You know, you might say things are kind of, uh, maybe they're routine. Maybe you'd say things are kind of predictable. Spiritually, I'm in a sort of a rut. Maybe that's where you find yourself today. I think God's going to breathe fresh life into you, into your faith. Steve's message last week, it highlighted what happened in when Paul understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that passage, we saw that the Apostle Paul, he listed off all of these impressive religious credentials. Uh, credentials that his audience, they would have been very impressed by. They would have gone, whoa, way to go, Paul. His resume would have made Paul a standout to those around him. On, on the religious front, he was, he was a standout. His self-righteousness, his achievements, his ability to be religious was incredible. You could easily say religiously Paul was at the top of his game. He was an A player. Yet steeped in religion, when Paul truly encountered Jesus, here's what we see. The trajectory of his life, it completely changed. You might remember from last week's text, when we got to verse 8, he said this, I consider them, and, and he's referring to like all of his good deeds, like these achievements that other people would have been like, Paul, you're the man, way to go, you're a standout. He said, I consider those things that make me that, I consider them rubbish, that I might gain Christ and be found in him. 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, like all the good things I can do. And then he said, but, but that which is through faith in Christ, this righteousness that comes from God and is by faith, this is Paul's conversion. He was self-righteous, um, but then the grace of God, he, he realized it, and he realized, okay, all of my good deeds, all of my self-righteousness, I, I'm putting my faith in those when in actuality they will leave me bankrupt. Paul realized that there was a kind of righteousness, though, that wasn't like that. It was a kind of righteousness that was far greater. And so he said of, of this standing, of this righteousness, he said it comes, I love this, it comes from God. Think about that. And it's by faith. And in that moment, the Apostle Paul trades his resume of good deeds. He trades it in for the resume of God, for the righteousness of the living God. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's reasonable to say at that point in his life, I think you could in a sense say, well, Paul, you sort of arrived spiritually. I mean, clearly Paul understood the gospel. I am not saved by my good works. I'm saved by my faith in Jesus Christ. And so I think it could be said, okay, Paul, why don't you take your foot off the accelerator a little bit? Why don't you, I mean, clearly you understand the gospel. Clearly, Paul, you are in a right standing with God. You can throttle back a little bit. But what we're going to find this morning is quite the opposite of that. If you've got a Bible, turn now to, to Philippians uh, chapter 3. Let's dive into this and we'll put the verses up on the screens for you as well. Look with me at verse 10. The Apostle Paul. He says, I want to know Christ. Powerful words. Now keep in mind, particularly if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have a relationship with Christ, Paul proclaims, I want to know Christ. To which you might think, hey Paul, I think you already do. I mean, you just shared the gospel with us. I mean, you just told us the story of your conversion. You, you clearly know Christ. Now know this, this is the same Paul that is now probably in his Mid to upper 50s, he's been walking with Jesus for 30 plus years. He's the writer of 13 New Testament books. It seems a bit odd, doesn't it, that he would write this? But the truth is this, over those 30 years, Paul's relationship with Jesus has simply made him want more of Jesus. He writes as a varsity player well into his spiritual journey. He says, I want Christ. I want to know Christ. Having God, what has it done? It's led to me wanting more of him. Today, let me ask you a question. Would you say that that's been your experience? Uh, that as the days or maybe the months or the years that have passed since you first met Jesus Christ, would you say that your desire for him, would you say that it's increased? Or would you say, ah, it's kind of blah, kind of mellowed out over time? Let's keep looking at what he says. He says, I want to know Christ. And then he goes, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. Paul's seen the power of God. I mean, it's understandable why Paul would say this. I mean, he's seen the miraculous happen. And so it makes sense that Paul would go, I want to, I want to know the power of God. I mean, he's seen it happen. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever, you ever prayed a big prayer or, or you saw God do something that you just looked back on and you were like, wow, that was miraculous what God did. What did that conjure up in you? What did that make you want when you saw God do something that you just said, that was God's size. That wasn't me. That was a God thing. What does it do? I, I guarantee you this. It made you like it makes me. It makes me want more. It makes me, makes me go, oh, Lord, I'll oh, come through again. Lord, I want to pray even a bigger prayer. Paul's saying, I want, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know that. 
But then he goes on and he says, also, I want to know the, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Imagine that, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I mean, that seems a, a, little, bit, a little bit strange, a, a little bit odd. I mean, tell me this, would you want to know the sufferings of, of, of Jesus? It doesn't seem like a place that I'd want to join Jesus in his sufferings. The sufferings of anyone are worth avoiding, particularly those of Jesus. Do you think that Paul enjoyed the sufferings that he endured? I mean, do you think that Paul enjoyed getting beaten for being a follower of Christ? Do you think that he enjoyed poverty and ridicule and imprisonments? No, absolutely not. And yet Paul knows what many of you know today. That in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, there is a deep communion with God that is unique to being in a position of suffering. Paul has suffered and in that place he's experienced intimacy with, with Jesus Christ and, and he makes like a big statement there. I mean, he's saying basically, I will endure more suffering because in my suffering I had intimacy with Christ and so he's in a sense inviting suffering. Why? Because the intimacy with Jesus Christ in those moments was so worth it. That's a huge statement he makes. Look at verse 12. I want to know Christ in these two areas. And then he says, not that I have already obtained all of this. And I love this. In humility, Paul makes it very clear. He says, I'm not there yet. I want to know Christ, but I'm, I'm not there yet. At my conversion, when my relationship with, with Jesus Christ first began at that point, I didn't stop my pursuit. Paul wrote this in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. It says, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but to get this, then it says, but because of his mercy. And it's as though in the text, Paul clearly understanding the gospel, it's as though he's saying, okay, I've tasted of the mercy I've tasted of the grace of God and now since I have he's saying you know what oh I'm just getting started I'm well into my spiritual journey but I'm hungering for God why because I've, I've tasted the mercy I've, I've tasted the, the the grace of the the living God Paul longs for more he's overcome by it think of a of a wedding ceremony you ever been to a wedding and and, you know, imagine this, the, the pastor's there and giving the, the vows. They've gone through the vows and says, hey, it is my privilege uh, to pronounce you husband and wife. And then he looks at the husband and he says, now for the moment that you've been waiting for, you may kiss your bride. But, but he says, stop, 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 real quick. Just got to mention one thing real quick. Before you kiss your bride, I want you to know, after you guys have this little kiss, it would be cute and kind of weird for everybody else, you know. After you guys do that, I want you to know you can stop pursuing each other finally. And imagine if the two were like this. Good. Wouldn't that be awkward? I mean, imagine going to the party afterwards. Be like, be like, are you okay? What's going on? It's not the case, is it? No, no, no. It's a beginning. Paul is not taking an early retirement in his relationship with Jesus. He's humbly saying, I've not obtained the goal yet. I'm still in pursuit, passionately in pursuit. He writes, not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but what do I do? He says, but I press on. That's a key statement in there. You might circle that. But I press on. He says it again in verse 14. In their language, it, it would have meant to run or to keep going. I press on. I'm relentless. I'm going for it. I'm not giving up. I am making a decision. Forward we go. Resilient, passionate. 
our 18-month-old son, Easton, is more persistent than I think anyone on planet Earth, right? Very persistent young man and a uh, young baby. And uh, he, uh, the other day, was eating some grapes uh, with his sister. And uh, his sister had a big cluster of grapes, and she was enjoying them. And, but as soon as he had one, it was as though he thought all of hers were his. And so he was persistent. It didn't matter that there were other grapes right there that he could have had. He wanted her grapes. Take a look at this picture of him. You see the grapes? Look at his face. I mean, he's passionate, right? Finally, we were like, just give him the grapes. We'll give you ice cream. You know I mean? Get this kid quiet. But he's, what is he? He's persistent. The apostle Paul writes this. He writes, I press on. I'm going for it. I, I'm engaged in it. But think about this for a minute. When you say, I press on, it, it's not like the, the circumstances are rosy. When you say, I press on, you're indicating that things aren't easy. You hear single parents say, I'm pressing on. You hear a, a person that's dealing with a major health issue or has experienced loss, you hear them say, we're pressing on. People that are facing major challenges, they press on. It's not the person that's on the beach on vacation and they're like, oh, we're just we're pressing on. We hope we can make it back to the beach on Friday. You know what I mean? We're pressing on. It's not them, is it? No. The Apostle Paul know this. There were things that were competing for his affection, for his attention towards Jesus Christ. It's not easy. I'm pressing on. There's resistance to it. Look at the rest of verse 12. I press on to what? To take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Notice that it's not Paul taking hold of Christ Jesus. It's Jesus taking hold of Paul. He realizes that he isn't in a relationship with Jesus because of his ability to walk with Jesus, but it's because of Jesus' consistency in holding on to him. That's encouraging to me. It's reassuring to me. Paul knows that his natural bent is to stray. There are times when I'm walking in a parking lot with our, our four-year-old daughter, Ashlyn, and, and there are times where I'll just say, hey, do you want to hold my hand? And I'll Take it or leave it. Either way, it's fine. And then there are other times where I just, I see cars coming, you know, it's a busy parking lot. It doesn't matter what she wants. I take her hand. I take hold of it because I care about her safety, right? Apostle Paul is saying, Christ, you have, you have taken hold of me. He has taken hold of you this morning if you're relationship, in relationship with him. Isn't that reassuring? I think of the lyrics of that familiar hymn, the one we sang this morning, prone to wander. Can you relate to this? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. And then he says, I love this. Oh, take and seal it. God, you, God, you take me. That's the idea that Paul's conveying. He goes on, verse 13. He says, brothers. And again, and I just, it gives you kind of a flavor for Paul's heart. I mean, he's talking to people that he loves. Brothers, people that he cares deeply about. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Again, he's saying, I'm not there. It's like the Apostle Paul is, is saying, you know what, I, I haven't arrived yet, but one thing I do, he writes, it's like he's proclaiming, this is what I resolve to do. Paul clearly is not the kind of guy that he has the mindset, let go and let God. Let go, let God. He'll do what he wants. No, no, Paul's not that way. The example before us today is, no, it's, it's I press into God. He's pursuing wholeheartedly. But one thing I do, 
He says this, forgetting what is behind. Forgetting what is behind. Those four words might be why God has you here today. Regardless of the past, know this, Paul is moving forward regardless of his religious achievements, regardless of his past accomplishments, regardless of his past failures, and there were a ton for Paul. Regardless of the broken relationships in his life, Paul's saying, I step forward, I'm, I'm moving forward. Is there anything this morning that you would say it's holding you back in your relationship with God? It's guilt, maybe it just ties you down. I had a bummer experience this week. I was at a coffee shop studying for this message and, and um, uh, shortly after I sat down, another guy came in, young guy, and he noticed I was studying. I had all my stuff kind of spread out and so we got to talking. I met him and, you know, talked for a little bit and, and a couple hours later when I was getting ready to leave, I was packing up my stuff and we started talking again and had, a, you know, just a great conversation and, and I remember distinctly walking to my car and, and very clear words came to me, Jeff, why didn't you invite him to Brookside? That wasn't a hard one. It's like, you got your Bible open. He knows I'm a pastor, knows I'm preparing for Sunday. I mean, it's like, lob pitch, buddy. Why didn't you take it? So I'm you know, driving away. I get home, talking about it to Christine. I'm like, oh, why didn't I take that opportunity? It was foolish. I woke up the next day. I was still thinking about this guy. I'm thinking, man, I should have been fighting him. What was I thinking? But at some point that next day, I had to say this to myself. You know what? It's time to move on. Let me ask you a question. Are you missing what God has for you today because you're still dwelling on yesterday? You know, maybe even on your way to church this morning, you, you had a debacle with your kids. And, and, or maybe at work this week, there was something in your life that just didn't go right. And it still got you kind of hung up. Know this in this passage. This is like moment by moment decision. I'm pressing on. It's just moment by moment. You can, even, you can decide it right, right this very second. I, I move on. He goes on, forgetting what is behind. What does Paul do? The text gets like very vivid. It says that he is straining toward what is ahead. Straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The imagery here is of a race, you know. Apostle Paul, is, he's always making uh, athletic comparisons. He would be a guy that's watching the Super Bowl, I think. He's, he says that he's straining towards what is ahead. I mean, get that picture in your mind. Paul, is, he's painting a vivid picture. It's not like I'm out for a nice jog. No, 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 no. It's like I'm, I'm in a race. I'm in a, I'm in a fast race. I'm straining towards the finish line. I'm muscles flexed, right? I'm leaning forward into the tape. Look at this, look at this picture of a kind of a finish line, right? Look at those muscles, they're, they're flexed. Paul's saying, forgetting what is behind. Now, you know this is true of a, race, of a race like that. Those guys don't look back, do they? They don't look behind them because if they do, they'll lose ground. Paul's saying, I forget what's behind me. I'm straining, I'm going, I'm reaching for the finish line. Look at a close-up of their faces here. Uh, look at Steve's right arm. That thing is huge. He's a beast, Right? Those three will be signing copies of those pictures after the service. <laughs> Paul says this, I love this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. He says, do you not know that in a race, here it is again, the picture, in a race all the runners run, but, but get this, only one gets the prize. Run in such a way. Here's what you should do, Brookside. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Don't coast. I recently heard a, a mentor of mine from college, he was 
He was talking about his dad. His dad's 74 years old. And he said this, he said, my dad oftentimes when he prays, he's a, just a godly man. He said, oftentimes when my dad prays, he, he prays this prayer, God, when my journey is over, I want to be found, at 74 years old, I want to be found leaning into the tape. Those are the words that he uses. He's conveying, I don't want to be coasting at the end of my days. I, I want to be straining. I want to be spent for Jesus Christ. Just a side note, I mean, you might get a, a deep theological truth from this text this morning, you might, but what you can't miss is the intensity by which Paul is pursuing Jesus Christ, and remember, this is well into his spiritual journey. He didn't just get home from camp, right? A challenging question that I believe God brought into my own mind just personally this week was, was this, Jeff, is there anything in your life that gets you more fired up? Is there anything in your life, Jeff, that gets you more passionate, more excited, more joy-filled than Jesus Christ? It's challenged by that. Let's keep going. Look at verse 15. He writes, all of us who are mature should take, a view, should take such a view of, of things. And, in, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. He's saying, if you're mature, I want you to think like I do on this one. I'm asking you. Philippians, I want you to follow my example. But if you don't agree with me, he's open to that. If you don't agree with me, God will make it clear to you. I trust God, God will make it clear to you. Verse 16, then he writes, only let us live up to what we have already attained. He's saying, but at least live up to what you've already experienced, meaning your best day spiritually. Maybe you think back to when you first met Jesus Christ and Man, God's word just came alive to you and you were just, man, you're just going after God. Paul's saying, think of your best day spiritually. That ought to be your baseline. At least let us live up to what you've already attained. Verse 17. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. Do you know people, let me ask you, do you know people that, live with this kind of a pursuit of Jesus. People that you would say, man, they're passionate for Christ. Paul is encouraging us to follow their example. I see this in, in the example of Pastor Steve. There will be times when we'll be in a meeting and maybe we're planning a service or whatever and all of a sudden he'll start talking about a passage, usually a passage he's going to preach that weekend. And it's like he, he sort of comes even more to life and his eyes get kind of big and he keeps, keeps just talking and talking with excitement, so much excitement that you would think, is this the first time you've ever read the Bible like that passage? But it's not at all. It's because it's just, oh, just it's natural. Nobody's forcing that on him. It's just flowing. I think of many of you. I, I think of a, a guy in our church, Nathan Williams. He's been walking with Jesus for about three years. And here's what I continue to see. The more that he gets of God, the more that he wants him. The things of God, they're continually on his mind and on his heart and he's talking about them and he's seeking to please God with his life. Do you know people like that? Paul would say, get around them. Follow their example. Now when we get to verse 18, we're kind of finishing up the text here. When we get to verse 18, it's as though the Apostle Paul pauses for kind of a reality check. It's sort of like, hey, if you've tracked through this so far and you're kind of fired up and excited and you want to be like Paul, it's like he sort of not puts on the brakes, but 
he just points out very clearly, walking with Jesus is not a cakewalk. There is opposition that you will face in your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Verse 18, for as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears. And I love that. I mean, again, it's like, what's the heart of Paul? It's tears over people far from God. As I, as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And then he talks about them. Verse 19, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. He's not talking about overeating. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Paul, with tears, he's talking about this group of people. Previously, he's referred to them as, as dogs. He says these are the kind of people they've distorted the, the gospel of Jesus. They said that you need to, to do more than have faith in Christ. They're saying you need to earn your salvation. And Paul is saying, you know what? They have an appetite for their own self-interest. They, they don't really care about the things of God, of, of Jesus Christ. But they have an appetite, an inner longing that's unrestrained in their pursuit of godlessness. He says their glory, it's their shame. Remember that list of things earlier in chapter 3? Paul said, my achievements, my achievements, my achievements. Those people would point to those. They would glory in them. And Paul's saying, their glory, it's their shame. And then he makes a summary statement, the last part of verse 19. He says, their mind, what is it? It's on earthly things. Meaning they're consumed with the here and now. They're consumed with, with what's going on with the day-to-day -day operations of life and they're not even thinking about eternal things. Are you like that? I struggle not to be like that. And Paul, what is he doing? He's pushing us. He's saying, I want you to think. I want you to act with, with a bigger scale in mind. I want you to think about eternal things. I want you to think beyond the day-to-day. -day. I want you to think about what you do and what you say and what you do with your resources. I want you to think eternal. I don't want you just to be caught in just the, just the me and just the now. And then verse 20, and it's like, again, he gives us another perspective jolt. Uh, it's like a motivation, really. It's saying, hey, here's a good reason why you should have a white-hot passion for Jesus. Here's a reason why you should be concerned not with just earthly things. Verse 20, last two verses. He says, but our citizenship, where is it? Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await to save you from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Let me ask you, are you excited about heaven? For the Apostle Paul, heaven was like two thumbs up. I mean, it was like amazing. It was like, I can't wait to get there. You might remember in Philippians 1.21, he writes, for for me, to live is Christ, but to die, kudos, yes, awesome, can't wait. To live is Christ, and then he said this, to die, what is it? To die is gain. But then he kind of, you know, he kept going, he said, but if I am to go on living in the body, what's it going to mean? It's going to mean fruitful labor for me, meaning I'm going to go after Christ if I'm alive. As long as I've got a heartbeat, I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to press on. I'm going to forget what's behind. I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep going. It's going to mean fruitful labor for me. What a challenge. In closing, I want to just read over you some of these key phrases that come from this passage. And again, 
Just let the the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul bring challenge and encouragement to you today. He says this, I want to know Christ. Paul says, I press on. It's not easy. Walking with Jesus is not easy. You know that. There are times when he asks us to do things we really don't want to do. He says, I press on. Then he says, forgetting what is behind, what do I do? I strain toward what is ahead. I forget, I I let it go, I move on, and with all of my energy, I strain, flexed, I'm going for it. I look at what's ahead. I'm focused on the prize. I'm gonna start off this message. I, I asked that question. If you could have anything in life, I mean, if you had the power at your fingertips, wouldn't that be fun? If you had anything, you could have anything you want, what would you want? How do you answer that question? Let me just say this. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ today and you look at this text even and you go, okay, it says that my destiny is destruction and you even agree with that. I just want to say to you this morning, you can begin a relationship with God. He's alive and well and he longs to have a relationship with you. Or maybe today you come here and you say, you know what, I, I want what Paul says he wants but I'm not there. I'm just sort of, I'm in a rut. That's just sort of where I find myself this morning. I hope you're encouraged today by this. Know that God, please don't miss this. God longs to meet with you. In Revelations chapter 2, there's a letter that's written to the Ephesian church and, and they're doing the right things. They're religious, but honestly, they're in a rut. Their hearts are far from God. And I think Jesus' advice to us to be, would be this. He would say, hey, I want you to do the things you did at first. Uh, remember what it was like when you first found me. Remember what it was like when you let the word of God daily impact your life. Remember what it was like when, when you said, God, would you, would you speak to me on this? God, I'm, God, I'm pursuing you. And, and you're waiting and you're longing for him to show up. And, and then you see him doing that. Be encouraged if you're in a rut this morning. God, God meets you. But it's this choice. It's this moment by choice. I press on. I forget where I've been. I forget the rut. I'm, I'm out of it now. I'm moving forward. Brookside, imagine if our zeal for Jesus Christ was white hot. Imagine if our number one want was Jesus Christ. I mean, I think of our students for example, I mean, imagine the impact that you could have in your school. Imagine the impact that you could have with your friends. If, if for you it was number one desire, Jesus Christ. Think of the impact that you could have in your place of work. Think of the impact that we could have in our, our neighborhoods, in this city. Think of the, this is a big one. Think of the impact that you could have on your family in the life of your spouse. If you were white hot for Christ, might it be true of us that at the end of our day, I, I'm challenged by that statement. By the end of our day, might we be the type that we're straining for the tape, right? We're going after the finish line. Might that be true of us, Brookside? Let's do this this morning. We need the grace of God to do that. And so let's, um, let's even pray to that end right now. So yeah, would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that when we come to know Christ truly in the, the reality of the cross and the gospel, I, I thank you that it propels us to want you and to serve you and to seek you with all that we have. And so Lord, we just pray right now as your people, um, we praise your people that we get in ruts sometimes and, and where we need to be challenged. And um, so we pray today that 
Lord, forgetting what is behind, we pray that we would step forward, that we would press on in Christ because we know that you love us and you long to meet us. And Lord, I pray for those here today that have yet to begin a relationship with you. Know that you can call out to God right now and you can say, Lord, I put my faith and I put my trust in what you've done. And God will meet you right in that place. Lord, we love you and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.